The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What happened later in the 2023 season? Let's talk it out. Welcome into a delayed edition of Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, January 11th. Everybody is present once again, Frank, Scott, and Chris. Today on the show, Japanese starter Shota Imanaga has finally signed. Which team? We'll talk about that. And we'll be taking a closer look at everything that happened later in the 2023 season. I know things happened. Football started up. Maybe you were out of your fantasy baseball league at that point. This will act as a bit of a refresher. But first, here we are, one day late. And let me just kind of set everything up and let everyone know what happened. This was about 15 minutes before we were about to go live last night. There was a big storm outside of my building where I live. I mean, I, not just outside of your building. It, there was, it was it was pretty nuts. There was a huge storm in yeah. New York yesterday, and I heard a huge bang right outside my house, and boom, electricity just shut off, did not turn back on until 2.30 in the morning, and honestly, I'm just happy that it didn't happen while we were recording because <laughs> that would have made things a lot tougher. Yeah, I don't know how we... We got to come up with like a contingency plan because... I don't have neither of us has any control over the podcast right now. So we just have like a stream going indefinitely until you get power back. Yeah, basically. Actually, I do want to say that was my I was just walking around and I tripped. I knocked something over. It was it was my bad. I'm sorry. Ah. That was the loud pop. It was Chris yeah, falling. I, just, I knocked something over. Hmm. How dare you, Chris? Anywho, let's start with Shota Imanaga, who has signed a deal with the Chicago Cubs and a pretty interesting contract. Four years, fifty-three million dollars. And after the first two years of the deal, the Cubs have the option to extend the contract to $80 million over five years. So essentially, if they like what they've seen, they can tack on one more year worth $27 million as the fifth year in that deal, which would bring the total to $80 million. Shota Imanaga is a 30-year-old lefty coming over from Japan, where this past year he had a 266 ERA, a 102 whip, 10.6K per nine, 1.4 walks per nine, three straight seasons with a sub three ERA. He sits 91 to 93 miles per hour on the fastball. It is a deceptive fastball that comes from a lower release point. We've heard of more pitchers doing this in recent years, that vertical approach angle. Imanaga has a really good one. And as a result, a deceptive fastball, he pairs it with a sweeper and a slider. Might not sound like much, but according to Eno Saris, Imanaga led all pitchers in Stuff Plus in last year's World Baseball Classic. So I put some stock into that. I think it's pretty interesting. The early ADP for Imanaga, 242.7 over at the NFBC. I think there will be a bump now that he signed, obviously. Uh, but going right around pitchers like Tristan McKenzie, Nick Lodolo, and Charlie Morton. Scott, your thoughts on Imanaga, maybe where he's going to wind up in your rankings. I'm pretty excited. I'm bullish. He's going to be a top 50 starting pitcher for me. 
Well, yeah, I was going to say top 60, but I, I, I'm enthusiastic about him. So if you're saying top 50, maybe I need to, maybe I need to move him up. It's, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there wasn't, all the enthusiasm was for Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And so uh, Shota Imanaga was just kind of the, the also ran. And, and I remember in our mock draft about a month ago, I took him, but I took him very late. And um, I don't know, I, I gathered from some of the chatter in the chat room that maybe I shouldn't have taken him at all. Uh, but it, it seems like maybe because of Eno Saris and that stat that he did have, Imanaga did have the highest stuff plus in the World Baseball Classic, better than Yamamoto, better than any major leaguer who was pitching there. Maybe, maybe that alone has created this, this new enthusiasm for him. Uh, it's... You know, it's it's an interesting profile because he he is kind of a soft tosser by modern standards, and so by those traditional measures, Yamamoto. I'm sorry, not Yamamoto. Yamamoto is amazing by every measure, but Imanaga doesn't really rate, uh, and so I I could see why, you know, I, I I could see I could see taking a more pessimistic angle with him because of that, but in addition to having those. Uh, those fastball characteristics that are so valued in the modern game. He also has like incredible control. His 1.4 walks per nine last year in Japan, granted, but it would have ranked fourth among qualifying major league pitchers, walks per nine. His eight to one strikeout to walk ratio would have ranked uh, second, I believe. Looking at an article I wrote first, but I think it's actually second. I think he was behind George Kirby. For, for strikeout to walk ratio. Again, in Japan, that doesn't mean that's exactly how it's going to go in the majors. But the point is, for what he lacks in those, uh, those, those traditional indicators, Imanaga really stands out in two areas that I think could make him a surprise contributor in fantasy. And so count me among the optimists. And uh, yeah, I would say... I don't know. The fact he's going to the Cubs doesn't really change anything for me. He is a bit fly ball prone, so maybe on he could have some bad home run games there. But you know, for for where he's going, I'm I'm not inclined to worry about that for Imanaga. I do think that there is a chance that with Yamamoto coming over in the same offseason that Imanaga has kind of been overshadowed a little bit by him. And look, Imanaga is not the same level of pitcher as Yamamoto or even Kodai Senga, who came over last year. But just to again put some numbers on it. His K per nine and walk per nine were both just better than Yamamoto uh, over in Japan this past year. So again, he's he's not as good, but like he has a way of getting strikeouts and he's a really good control pitcher. So I'm a fan so far, everything that I've read. Chris, what do you think about the fit? So I think the NL Central is a good landing spot just in terms of competition for mm -hmm. Imanaga, but heavy fly ball pitcher, uh, we know the ball travels when the wind is blowing out in Wrigley Field. And according to StatCast, Wrigley has the 11th highest home run park factor. So there were some teams that were a little bit scared off by that fly ball tendency. But maybe it'll kind of be a moot point based on like the strikeout to walk ratio that Imanaga poses. Well, I think it's going to it's likely to be an issue. You know, the, the home runs you look at, he only gave up one home run per nine last season you have to take into context that Japan is kind of in like a dead ball era right now. I think the league average ERA over the last three seasons was 3.26, which is significantly lower than the majors. So that's something to keep in mind with all pitchers coming over from Japan. Uh, and the, you know, he gave up one home run per nine. The league average was 0 0.8 home runs per nine in the majors last season. It was 1.2 per nine for starting for pitchers. So that's you know, 50% higher. So I, I do think home runs are likely to be a pretty significant issue for Imanaga. And that's without even accounting for a significantly more difficult uh, quality of competition. Like if he gave up 1.7 home runs per nine, it wouldn't really surprise me. That's it's not impossible to succeed in that way. It's just, you have to be really, really good at limiting base runners. You have to be really, really good at, pitching with runners on base because if you if your home runs are predominantly more tilted towards when runners on base then it's going to be an even bigger issue so you know you look at some of the pitchers who succeeded last season with home runs per nine in like the 1 1.5 1 1.4 range like freddie peralta 
gave up 1.41 home runs per nine last season. He was pretty good. You know, I don't think uh, Imanaga is likely to be an 11.5 K per nine guy. So, you know, I, I think it's a, a somewhat narrow path, but like Logan Gilbert might be a high end comp, you know, a guy who doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, but isn't necessarily a terrible strikeout pitcher. Doesn't give up any walks. The home runs, you know, sort of make up for that. So, so I think that's like a, a ceiling play, maybe I'm a Chris thinking, Bassett. I'm thinking like Bailey Ober. I'm thinking Imanaga could have like a Bailey Ober type outcome, or maybe maybe be kind of Nestor Cortez like. Sure. Which is, I, I know Nestor Cortez is a difficult profile to pin down because his last two years were disparate, but disparate. How do you pronounce that word? Um, <laughs> but uh, you could tell I'm a writer first because then I, oh, I drop uh, that's these words the, I use in writing. There's a lot, of, to say <laughs> a lot of words like that for me. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, anyway, I got called like out that, on Twitter once for saying apropos of nothing. <laughs> one of my biggest, most shameful moments on this podcast. <laughs> it's apropos, guys. Imanaga, like, I, I don't think Imanaga is going to be competing for Cy Young Awards. I think my expectation of what he's going to cost is a big driver of my enthusiasm for him. And so I think that's important to keep in mind in this discussion. Yeah. few other things here for those who care about projections. If you look at Steamer and you run it through an auction calculator, they have Imanaga as the SP29 in projection. So obviously that's very bullish. Maybe they'll kind of change some things based on him landing in uh, Chicago with the Cubs. But as of now, that's where they stand on Imanaga. And it's funny you bring up Nestor Cortez, Scott, just as like a comp, because Lance Brazowski did a great breakdown on Imanaga on his YouTube channel. And he brought up Nestor Cortez's fastball as a comp for Imanaga as how it's kind of been like a deceptive fastball for Nestor Cortez. And obviously it worked two years ago. Last year he was hurt. And we'll see if obviously that can uh, work for Imanaga here. In I didn't even read that one. Yep. I didn't even read that one. It's And it's disparate. I had to write the first time. You guys probably knew that, but I, I needed I needed to know. You know yeah. me, Scott. Big, uh, big vocabulary guy. Uh, big knower of all things that are not baseball and like Pokemon. You know, that's me. Chris? <laughs> Any last words before you sounded like you wanted to say something? Oh, I mean, the the sirens were going off. I have two things to say. One, I, I a, a couple other comps I was thinking was like Eduardo Rodriguez or Braxton Garrett, like getting there a, a little differently, but like a mid to high three ZRA, not necessarily a ton of innings. Th- those are a couple of them. And then, sorry, this is totally unrelated, but Frank, you said something. Have you watched Pokemon Concierge? No, I have no idea what that is. It's it's delightful. Check it out. It's on Netflix. It's 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 like the total turn your brain off. Your brain turns into mush while you're watching it is great. That sounds great. And I will a lot check of it side out. duck. Yeah. And look, I don't No one probably cares about this. I'm, I'm in an early draft over at the NFBC and just, I guess, money where your mouth is. I drafted Imanaga as my SP five on this current draft that I'm doing. Uh, it's a 15 team league. I think I got him in like the 14th or 15th round. So again, I think the price will go up. I like him. He's going to be a top 50 starting pitcher for me. Show to Imanaga to the Chicago Cubs. Let's get into what everybody missed down the stretch of the 2023 season. Chris left us in August. Some people fell out of contention in their league. We get it. Football started up. So again, this will be a little bit of a refresher and you can read Scott's article on the site because he goes way more in depth and talks about way more players. It is a, Super long, thorough article, and I highly recommend you check it out. I appreciate that Scott writes it for me every year. We're going to talk about maybe 50% of what's actually on that article today. And uh, let's start Not much, huh? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a 25-minute read, according to the estimate here at the top of the article. So, I mean, if if we just straight up read it, uh, we might run out of time. (laughs) Let's start with some of the strong finishes. And there's only one place to start, start, honestly. And that's with Cole Reagans. In his 11 starts, once he was up for good, Reagans had a 270 ERA, a 106 whip, 11.6K per nine. He throws five different pitches between 10% and 40% of the time. His fastball was up almost five miles per hour year over year from 92 miles per hour to 96.5 miles per hour. This is a player you are going to hear us talk about a lot. He is a polarizing player. Uh, Scott loves him. And I, I spoke about some of the reasons, Scott, but... I guess if you want to give people uh, another reminder why you love Cole Reagans with what he did down the stretch. I mean, oh, gosh. Where do I start? It, it, <laughs> where do I start? He looked like 
God's gift to pitching, honestly. <laughs> he it was it was the slider that really brought everything together because he wasn't throwing it much uh, during his 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 time with the Rangers working mostly out of the bullpen and the numbers were kind of meh. But he did show those huge gains in velocity during his time in the Rangers bullpen, like a four mile per hour increase across the board from one year to the next. And I remember taking note of that last spring and thinking, man, maybe Cole Reagans could be this like super deep sleeper if he could ever find if he could ever find his way into the starting rotation. Well, it took it took him being traded to the Royals. And then him incorporating the slider after joining them that immediately became his best swing and miss pitch. It just seemed to improve the effectiveness of all his pitches rounded out his arsenal in the perfect way. So now you have a left-hander who's fastball peaks at 99. I think it hit 101 at one point. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, among the hardest throwing left-handers ever is Cole Reagans. And, he has this full arsenal of of swing in his pitches and what it added up what it amounted to in his 11 starts once he was up for good starting for good with the Royals 11 starts he had a 270 ERA 106 whip 11.6k per 9 uh and yeah i mean if 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 you kind of tuned out once football got going in august you missed all of that and and Cole Reagans is still a nobody to you he's he is far more than a nobody there are some risk factors here uh control has been an issue for him throughout his career and it it became more of an issue in september specifically um he's also had two chump two tommy john surgeries and if he's throwing at velocities he never used to throw at you would think that would put more strain on the elbow and 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 maybe uh you, you know with that with that health history that would be a concern for reagan's but I've told you before, Frank, I was telling everybody listening throughout the offseason, my my approach to pitching this year is all in on upside, maximize strikeout contributions, and let the ERA and whip fall where they may. Because in this environment, I don't think you can count on anybody to have a reliably low ERA and whip anyway. And so with that approach, Reagan's makes sense for me as a top 12 pitcher. All right. Devil's <sighs> advocate. Gosh, I was going to ask Chris, where do you think Scott has Reagan's ranked? But Scott gave it I was going to guess like 15. I know, I, I <laughs> said too many things. It's all good. All right, devil's advocate. You guys remember 2020, right? Yeah. Most starting pitchers made around 12 starts, right? I yes. think That's so, how yeah. many Cole Reagan's made. Mm-hmm. Here are Here's a random selection of pitchers who were top 20 in wins above replacement in the 2020 season. Denelson Lamette was fifth, 209 ERA, 12.1K per nine. Uh, Armand Marquez was seventh. Dylan Bundy was ninth. Kenta Maeda was 10th. Uh, let's see. Marco Gonzalez was 15th. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, I mean, he was, he was actually good. Dallas Keuchel had a 199 ERA for the Chicago White Sox that year. Uh <laughs> Carlos Carrasco's last good season. Zach Davies had a 273 ERA. I think Cole Reagans is probably better than all of that. Would, and the reasons. I, so. but I mean, like, it's a good thing my argument wasn't really about the numbers, but, but the, the a arsenal. lot of us, a lot of people, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to say a lot of us, a lot of people thought Zach Plezak was really good because he had eight great starts in 2020. And now, look, we're going to talk about Tarek Skubal at some point, I assume, right? That was mm-hmm. going to be my devil's advocate to the devil's and advocate. I have Tarek Skubal as a top 12 starting pitcher, and he made 15 starts. Yeah. However, Tarek Skubal had also been a top prospect and had a pretty good 2022 season. True. Obviously, it was a very, very different type of twenty of very, very good season. But yeah. I, I'm mostly... With you on Reagan's um, and, you know, the the deeper I dive into it, the more I will probably like him. I certainly don't have him as a top 12 starting pitcher, but it's hard to argue against the stuff there. There's a lot of fluctuation in monthly pitching splits in general, and especially with Reagan's like you look at the the swing and miss rates with his cutter 
were only good in September, and that was when he started throwing it more. So those things might be related. His curveball swing and miss rate before I mean, he's got, September he's got five pitches was pretty mediocre. What I'm saying is before before September, it was like the fastball was really good. The changeup and slider were really good. And then after that, it was pretty iffy. And then September, all five were really good. And so, I, you know, it's it's one of those things where I could see, like, does he have too many pitches? Does he like that? We're, we're devil's advocating, okay. advocating uh, right. here. You know, we're 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 trying to make sure he doesn't just walk through beatification. Yeah, That's where no, the devil's I, advocate comes I from. get it. But like we could we could do this with all of my pitching rankings. Oh, yeah, for sure. Start here, because, oh, yeah, like, I mean, if there was a pitcher who had done over 30 starts, anything close to what Reagan's did in those 11. I ranked him ahead of Reagan's. It's just that there's not many pitchers <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Something you will learn, Chris, as I have already this offseason, is that Scott does not care about downside for his starting pitchers at all. It's just give me the upside, give me the strikeouts. And we see Scott that Scott is his, finally seeing things my way. <laughs> with the ranking of uh, Cole Reagan's Chris. We've been we've been working together for 14 years. <laughs> 13 years, and he's finally seeing it my way on starting pitcher. Well, Maybe. I mean, you could. That's that. Yeah. Chris, have you? It's been. It's been. It's been a journey. Done this for sixteen years. My approach to pitching has had its its uh, its ups and downs, its ins and outs, and I kind of, I I kind of think this is in a way returning to the roots of pitching evaluation, and you know the sorts of things I was doing before the juice ball era, basically. But I know, yeah, you have made a similar case before that that given the inherent risks at starting pitcher, you're you're mostly going to focus on upside. Now, I think the the question really isn't where do you have Cole Reagan's ranked. It's if the number twelve starting pitcher goes off the board fiftieth or forty fifth on average, are you taking him forty fifth? Or are you taking him 65th overall? Well, you don't have to. Or right? 80th so, or 90th. Yeah. What, like that, that's the question. Yeah. Why, yeah. So I get the question, but the thing is, why would you? Knowing that his... I can pull up the, uh, the ADP here on Reagan's. Uh, it is 113. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in every draft that Scott is in, he could just say... Right, that's what I mean, though. Is yeah. he jumping... Well, yeah, but five rounds or two rounds. Well, I've been I've been drafting him where I rank him so far. I mean, I've you know right. I've only done a couple mock drafts to this at this point. But what's probably going to end up happening if if I remain kind of out on a limb on like what's his what's his ADP right now among just among starting pitchers where where do you rank oh, according to ADP? That, ADP? I think it's around it's between thirty and thirty five. Yeah, he's 49th oh in pitcher overall. I and I have him ten closers. I have him at SP twenty eight. So, oh my gosh, which is I think it's a fair range if you look at years past like starting pitcher rankings. Twenty to thirty is where you typically find a lot of the "quote unquote" mm-hmm. breakout starting pitchers. Well, that, okay, and that's where I that's have. Why, that's okay. where I have Grayson Rodriguez and, and Yuri well, Perez. And, I can I can afford to move. I can afford. What I was going to say is, if if I remain this far out on a limb on Reagan's, it's even further out on a limb than I thought. Um, I can afford to move him down quite a bit and still basically always get yeah, him. But like, I, think, I think that's from a strategic standpoint, that's what I'm going to have to do because if I keep Reagan's ranked eleventh, twelfth, wherever I have him. Um, I'm probably never going to be able to draft like a Freddie Peralta mm-hmm. or a Kodai Senga or, or a bunch of other guys that I'm higher on than the consensus because of their strikeout upside. Yeah. And so just to maximize my opportunities at getting those pitchers, I might have to move Reagan's down, even though that's not where my heart wants him to be. All right, we've got to move on. We've talked about two players in 20 minutes. A quick note here, FBT is a finalist for the Best Baseball Podcast category in the Sports Podcast Awards. Thanks to all of our listeners. We actually won this award last year, and now we're looking to go back-to-back. So you can help us bring home the hardware by uh, clicking on the link in the podcast and YouTube descriptions, or you can scan the QR code, which is on the top right screen, uh, top right of your screen on YouTube. The whole process should take you less than a minute, and we really would appreciate it. Thank you for your continued support. And just a quick reminder that you can go back and listen to everything we did earlier in the offseason, because... 
we never stopped podcasting. So we have position recaps. We have Scott's early rankings. We broke down top prospects at each position with the Welsh. I did a podcast uh, last week with Lance Brozdowski where he broke down Shota Imanaga in depth. So you can go back and listen to all of those uh, podcasts on demand. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about a few outfielders that finished very strong. We'll do that right after this. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome back in. We're doing what you missed later in the 2023 season and wanted to pick back up with a few outfielders that finished really strong. Nolan Jones, in the month of September, hit 349 with seven homers and 12 steals. He recorded both his 20th home run and 20th steal of the season on the final day of the season, making him a 2020 player in just 106 games. Um, Scott, I know that you're a big fan of Nolan Jones. I noticed you have him ranked 18th at outfield. His ADP over the last month over at the NFBC, 14th outfielder off the board. So if you want Nolan Jones, once we get drafts up and running, you might have to pull him up a little bit. I might have to. Uh, And looking at some of the players I rank ahead of him, you know, Christian Yelich feels like more of a floor play, uh, which I'm I'm surprised in a 15-team league that they want to lean on the floor play a little more. Because obviously, you know, Nolan Jones not exactly proven. That, that may turn out to be a totally wasted pick. Uh, I have Kyle Schwarber ahead of him. I could be talked out of that. There's some malleability in my outfield rankings from 15 to 20. And uh, I... I may end up moving Nolan Jones up a few spots because of that. I'll also point out we have one source of ADP right now, and eventually we'll have more sources. And there's going to be uh, there's going to be differences among the sources. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to get so sucked on this one source of AD like you know so what's the word fixated on this one source of ADP that I I totally rearrange my rankings around it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the bottom line is what Nolan Jones did, uh, with the Rockies once he was in the lineup full time, uh, was pretty spectacular and the data pointed to it being a possibility, hits the ball very hard, uh, good on base skills, obviously makes the most of his speed, was aggressive on the base paths, strikes out too much, but you don't worry about that as much for a Rockies hitter because of the Babu. Babbit boost that comes with from playing at Coors Field. Uh, so I think there's there's five category potential and a lot of upside here. What did I say? <laughs> you almost said like Babu. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't even I don't even know what Chris said, but I'm just. <laughs> I, I think it was. Probably shouldn't repeat it. I guess you almost said like babu boo or something. <laughs> babu. It was just it sounded what like just baby babble basically. <laughs> I'm 
sounded Sorry. like a robot up yeah sorry this is why i can't be Beep on the show yeah babip yeah. boost for uh nolan jones which is what he will it's, get it's a in hard Coors combination Field. of syllables that is now, true the, the the one thing i would say is like he was actually better on the road last year than at home that's not gonna happen like it like i don't know maybe he's like a 935 ops true hitter and what he did away from course field is real in which case he might be a first round pick Right. That's probably not the case, though. And it's probably more that he's like a 928 OPS hitter at Coors Field. Probably more like a high 700s or low 800s guy away from Coors Field. So, like, the overall line, I think, like, we're not going to get a 931 OPS from, from Nolan Jones again, I think. But right. he doesn't have to do that right. to justify this spot. If he's a 931 OPS bat again, we're probably way underdrafting him even in the fourth round. Absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. other outfielder here is Seiya Suzuki, who, look, he was going through it last year, the middle part of the season. I remember at some point, David Ross gave him a couple of days off as like a mental reset. Mm -hmm. And then Seiya Suzuki just hit the ground running after that. So from August 1st on, he hit 350 with 12 homers in OPS over a thousand. He lowered the ground ball rate. He was hitting more fly balls, more line drives. And just crushing the ball, 91 average exit velocity, 13.2% uh, barrel rate during that time. Chris, I know that Seiya Suzuki is someone that you and I mm -hmm. have been on in the past, and just the way that he finished the season kind of gives me some hope that, all right, maybe he's starting to figure things out. You know, coming over from Japan, maybe it took a couple of years, but if he has a skill set where if he puts everything together, I think we can get like... 25 homers, 10 to 15 steals with a really good batting average. Yeah, he's a really good athlete, 79th percentile sprint speed. He was one of my favorite breakout picks last season. I, I guess it kind of ended up being an okay pick in the end. Once um, everybody stopped paying attention. Yeah, once, every, when, once everybody stopped paying attention. That's when the breakout happened. Yeah. Uh, but like, he, he was a guy who the quality of contact metrics as a rookie were very good in a way that wasn't necessarily re reflected in the overall numbers. Like you said, Frank, I think it's reasonable to assume, especially with hitters, you know, this is something that you see when guys change leagues, uh, you know, more so, I think, in the pre-balanced schedule era when guys just didn't face pitchers from the other league as often. There was often a an adjustment period, you know, whether it was a full season or a couple months, guys who switch leagues tend to do worse. And it's not unreasonable to assume that a guy who's playing against brand new competition for the first time in his life, you know, might need more time to get acclimated. And I, I think that's a reasonable explanation for what we saw from Seiya Suzuki. And I think, you know, you look at the quality of contact metrics, they're all pretty much backing up what he did overall last season. I, I don't think you look at what he did in, in August and September and say, Hey, we've got an 1100 OPS bat here. It's probably more like, Hey, he can be a mid 800s OPS bat, but like you said, with right. 25 homer upside and and you know the speed to be a 15 to 20 steal guy. If he, you know, he's been very inefficient so far. That's something that I tend to not care too much about inefficiency unless it leads to the player not running more. So that that's the un, unknowable thing. You know, stolen base percentage tends to fluctuate quite a bit from one year to the next. So if he goes out and steals 18 out of 23 bases next season, I wouldn't really be surprised, even though he's been much worse than that so far. I do like the fact that the Cubs brought in Craig Council as their manager, and the Brewers have been really aggressive on the base paths uh, under him, you know, the past however long he was there. So I, I think there's a chance that, you know, some of the Cubs hitters could improve their uh, stolen bases a little bit here in 2024. I want to move on to two Orioles pitchers who both finished really well. I mean, Kyle Bradish, it was really like the final three months of the season, but Grayson Rodriguez, uh, after returning from the minors, a 258 ERA, a 110 whip, and specifically his final six starts of the season, a 180 ERA, 111 whip, nearly 10 strikeouts per nine. Kyle Bradish, I mentioned it, his final three months, 16 starts with a 214 ERA, a .93 whip. If you look at the season-long numbers, Bradish was second in Stuff Plus, Eno Saris's Stuff Plus metric, behind only Corbin Burns. And he made some big pitch mix changes, lowering his four-seam fastball usage. He threw his slider more, his sinker. He has an elite curveball. I think there's so much to like about both of these guys. The ADP over the last month, 
Grayson Rodriguez, the SP21 off the board at 71.5. Kyle Bradish, SP27 uh, as at pick 95.5, both going inside the top 100. Scott, does that surprise you for both of these Orioles pitchers? Inside the top 100, you say? Yeah, for both. For Grayson, it's top 75, too. Look, I have them both ranked high, uh, but maybe not quite that high. Bradish, Bradish, I have ranked higher than Grayson Rodriguez, so I, I guess just comparing those two players against each other, um, I'm higher up Bradish. I think my concern with Grayson Rodriguez is that while he definitely looked better coming back from the minors, throwing more strikes, having a good swinging strike rate. The strikeout rate itself, the actual number of strikeouts he was getting, was a little underwhelming for mm-hmm. a, a, a young pitcher of his stature. And it could just be, I mean, look at the high end of the pitching ranks. Guys like Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, guys we've come to know as 11, 12 K per nine guys were more like nine and a half K per nine guys this past year. And it could be that the environment's changing in a way that you don't see as those crazy high strikeout rates from really good pitchers. But I I think it's a vulnerability for Grayson Rodriguez until he's really proven himself. And so I wouldn't want to invest in him as more than like a ideally like a number four pitcher on my roster, but more realistically a number three pitcher. And um, I think I could probably, in that range you're talking about, I think I could find pitchers who still have a lot of upside that I believe in more. Kyle Bradish being one of them, just because I think uh, he's just a little more experienced and uh, I trust him to take on the workload that would allow him to maximize his win potential for the Orioles a little more than I do Grayson Rodriguez. And I mean, that stuff plus indicator that you mentioned, uh, you know, Saris was pointing that out for, for Kyle Bradish, even before the season, it kind of had, it kind of put him on my radar as sort of a fringe sleeper. I didn't, I didn't end up with him on any rosters, but like I, it, it was, it was, a seed was planted in my mind when I saw that prior to the season that, hey, maybe Kyle, maybe there's something I'm missing here with Kyle Bradish and he could become a worthy fantasy pitcher. And, and certainly over the final two-thirds of the season, that seemed to happen. One thing I, I, I want to point out on Grayson Rodriguez is he doesn't look great by K per nine. He was just under a strikeout per nine innings in August and September. 30, 59 strikeouts and 59.2 innings. Lee average K per nine last year was 8.74. So he was, in terms of K per nine, really, really close to league average. League average strikeout rate was 22.7%. He was at 24.8%. So he was about 10% 10 or two percentage points, however you want to frame it, better than league average by K rate. It's just that when you're dealing with small, this is a good example of why K percentage is better than K per nine in smaller sample sizes. The larger sample sizes, it tends to come out in the wash, but he had a 1.09-ish whip. I don't know what it was exactly because I just didn't click that part. Uh, league average whip was 1.31. So this is one where K per nine probably underrates him as a strikeout pitcher because he was pitching so well otherwise. He was seeing fewer batters per inning leading to fewer Ks per nine, if that makes sense. So that's one where, while he was, I, I think, still a little underwhelming, in terms of strikeout rate, he, he's someone that certainly you would think is in that like 27 to 28% strikeout range <laughs> more than 25%. Yeah. He was above average on a per batter basis. It just, he pitched so well that it didn't show up. And, yeah. and, and I think Grayson Rodriguez is probably someone who needs to, there's probably some, some tweaking left in the arsenal and how he deploys it because yeah, the slider's a really good swing and miss pitch. He only threw it 14% of the time. The curveball, pretty good swing and miss pitch. He only threw it 8% of the time. That's probably something where as he gets a little more experience, he'll he'll probably, most pitchers throw their fastball less the more experience they get. So that's something that I do think it's, him and Yuri Perez stand out as guys who I, I think will take a big step forward in their strikeout rate in 2024. Yeah. I, I mean, I could... 
I, I don't even know how much I believe the idea that, oh, Grayson Rodriguez, he's not a good strikeout pitcher. Because, I mean, you look at what you were talking about. You look at the swinging strike rate, which I pointed out. Um, you look at the arsenal, which is full of swing and miss pitches. But until he does it, I, I've, I've never been a big fan of the until, unless he's actually done it, we shouldn't pay for him like he's done it, you know? Which will make me miss out on Bobby Witten round one sometimes, but you know it'll prevent a lot of uh, a lot of misfortunes as well. And once he came back from the minors, Grayson Rodriguez never had more than seven strikeouts in a game, and so like that's I have a hard time uh, just presuming that those strikeouts will come when when as a top seventy five pick would require me to do. I think I would expect it, though, Scott, because you did see it in the swinging strike rate, right? His final 13 starts mm-hmm. after returning, 13% swinging strike rate. If you just compare that to you know, qualified starting pitchers, that would have ranked ninth among all starters. So if he can maintain that level of swinging strikes, I, I do think you can project you know, 9, 10, right. per 9 okay, but he's, for he, Grayson Rodriguez. I, I think the bigger thing is... he's going ahead of Kodai Senga. Yeah, he's being drafted in... He's being I, don't drafted have him, in I don't have him ranked ahead of Senga, yeah. by the way. Like, I wouldn't do that yeah. either. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's my point, is... I see the upside. I think he's probably going to meet the upside. But what are you giving up in pursuit of that upside? And it's right. too good yeah. for me. If, if we're just going by ADP, it's too good for me. Yeah, yeah. it's the opportunity cost for Grace Rodriguez. Right. And, you know, <laughs> when we get down to other ADP... You know, it might turn out to be the same thing for Yuri Perez and Bobby Miller. I mean, these are pitchers that are really talented mm-hmm. and we like them, but, you know, you do have to pay the price so far in early drafts to get those guys. Let's stick with the pitching. I want to take a look at five late round starting pitchers that all ended the season really strong. And uh, just going to rattle off a few stats from each of these guys. Michael King's final eight appearances were all starts. A 188 ERA, a 110 whip. That included a 13 strikeout performance against the Toronto Blue Jays. Michael King is now with the San Diego Padres via the Juan Soto trade. Nick Pavetta, from June 28th to the end of the season, 335 ERA, a .97 whip, 12.9K per nine. And when I had Lance Brasdowski on, someone who I think we all respect, really smart pitching mind, I asked him for some early sleepers, and Nick Pavetta was the first name that he mentioned. So mm-hmm. he is in on Nick Pavetta. Ryan Pepio, now with the Tampa Bay Rays, severely lowered his walk rate, and uh, we saw just flash uh, with the Dodgers late in the season, and obviously he was enough to be the main uh, key piece coming back in the Tyler Glassdown trade. Emmett Sheehan, also with the Dodgers, uh, finished the season really strong, as well as final three appearances, 15.8K per nine, flashing some of those numbers we saw in the minors. Uh, and then Christopher Sanchez, who came on strong with the Phillies, really out of nowhere, changed up who he was, increased control, like something we've never seen from him in the mm-hmm. minors. Final 17 starts, a 332 ERA, a 102 whip, 58% ground ball rate. Lots to like with all these names. Chris, is there maybe one or two that has stood out to you when just kind of diving in, doing your rankings, uh, just some kind of early standouts, I guess, based on you know these these strong finishes from these five. Yeah. So my my bold prediction is that in March Ryan Pepio's ADP is going to be sub one hundred and fifty. I just I don't think there's any way a guy who had this kind of run at the end of the season and pitches for the Rays isn't going to get just a, a crazy amount of helium to the point where his ADP in January is about 200. That's perfectly fine. I love it. I will draft him. I, I think he's going to get pushed way up draft boards. It, this is, this seems like a perfect uh, combination of factors that the fantasy baseball community is going to fall in love with. We're going to get some, some good reports. You know, he's going to, he's going to look good in spring training and all of a sudden his ADP is going to skyrocket. So I, I, I think it's unlikely I'm going to draft him too much. Michael King, I I know he was great. There's I, I'm surprised. I guess this is another one where the price isn't so outlandish. He's the 61st pitcher, 150.63. It was a weird way to say ADP. We never say it that way. Michael King has had a lot of trouble staying healthy over the course of his major league career. I guess we haven't noticed it because he's been a relatively low profile middle reliever slash setup guy. 
I even 150, I think, is hard to justify, even given the upside that he showed. He's never done this anything close to this over anything like two months as a starting pitcher. I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a sample size that like Zach Plezak's 2020 was bigger, right? Like I just, I, there's, there's no way I can well, buy into 38 innings. Uh, it's a different situation because we have seen Michael King be a really good reliever for a sure. long time. And so now it's just being tested in a different role. And so far he's passed the test with flying colors, mm-hmm. um, actually sustaining his velocity. Unlike pitchers normally do when they move from the, the bullpen to the rotation. Now the durability is a major question mark, but I, I, I don't, I don't know that the performance is that much. And uh, since I am I am trying to maximize the upside of my staff, my fantasy staff, not wanting to fill it with a bunch of globby pitchers, wanting to kind of identify the pitchers who could potentially transcend the glob mm-hmm. and load up on as many of those as I can, I'm, I'm probably going to be more invested in Michael King than you are. Um, and, and probably Pepio too. It's... It's unfortunate because I mean the 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 conceit of this of the article that we're talking about here and and this podcast is that these are the things you're probably not aware of from late in the season. But because Michael King and Ryan Pepio got traded, they mm-hmm. were the centerpieces of trades for much higher profile players. It kind of put what they did late in the season under the microscope. So it's I'm not sure it's going to sneak up on people the way it might have otherwise if they just stayed put because people had to look into, oh, why was this team so interested in this guy? And, oh, look at what he did. That's why. Um, so far, I'm fine with the ADP where it is, but if you're right, Chris, that the, these players will be elevated from where they are now, then I may not end up uh, I, with as many shares of them as I presume I will. Take. I will just say this. If I'm going to make that bet, mid-round starting pitcher with – Durability questions, but high upside. Carlos Rodon's going two two rounds later. And they're not mutually exclusive. You could take both. But Carlos Rodon has done that for more than 38 innings as a starting pitcher. And yeah. the, the injury track record for Carlos Rodon is significant, but it's really significant with Michael King, who has also never done it for 180 innings. I, I get what you're saying, but like, come week one... I'm much more likely to start Michael King than Carlos Rodon. And I mean, depending how spring training goes, if Rodon yeah, looks like Rodon again, it's a different story. But if, if, if that happens, then Rodon's moving way up my rankings too. Chris, something interesting that you said about Ryan Pepio and his rise. I'll just quickly mention two names in relation to that. Jeffrey Springs, mm-hmm. Drew Rasmussen. Remember what yeah, happened when those two shot way up last year in spring crazy because of what they did. They obviously look great in spring. If mm-hmm. Ryan Pepio looks great in spring too, you get that Tampa Bay raise tax on top of it. Then I agree. I think he's someone that could move up quite a bit. Christopher Sanchez just wanted to give him another quick shout out. I mean, he's going yeah. about the the latest of that group, him and Emma Sheehan right around pick 250 over the past month. If he stays here, I am all about it. I just love what Christopher Sanchez did. Wipe out, change up, great ground balls, nearly a 12% swinging strike rate. 10 strikeouts in two of his last three starts as well. One once against the Atlanta Braves too. So yeah. he was awesome because like yeah. I was on the show until like what? Mid August. And every single Friday it was like, Hey, sleeper pitchers, Christopher Sanchez. <laughs> or like every time he was up, his roster rate would still be like 52%. And so it'd be like streaming Christopher Sanchez. And it was, it worked out great for like a month and a half in a row. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and like, it just kept getting better. And yeah, like it's one of those, Okay, Christopher Sanchez, 26-year-old nobody who's suddenly striking out 10 Braves. My gut tells me this is probably a, a Zach Plesak situation. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not inclined to rank him that high, but just like intellectually looking at what he mm-hmm. did, my brain likes him more than my gut, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so... What does that amount to on draft day? It probably amounts to me investing no more than a late round pick in Christopher Sanchez. But luckily for me, he doesn't require more of an investment. Well, yeah, that, the difference is Zach Plezak's ADP was 80.8 in 2021. <laughs> and Christopher Sanchez is not. 
I wonder what the over-under on Zach Plesak mentions was for today's podcast, because I feel like we mentioned We're his crushing the over five times already. I <laughs> was not expecting that. Let's take our the final Angels just signed him. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll talk about a few uh, flops towards the end of the season. Uh, players who did not finish so well. We'll do that right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back in. Let's take a look at some of the players who kind of stumbled to the finish line, and we will start off with one... Ellie De La Cruz, who again, we've already talked about him a good amount this offseason. We will continue to talk about him a lot. He'll be a very polarizing player because over the past month, he has an ADP of 23. So if you're playing in a 12-team league, still a second-round pick, despite what happened in the second half, batting 191 with a 36% strikeout rate, big struggles against left-handed pitching. Now, I understand the enthusiasm, the hype, He's a very fun player to watch. He had 35 steals in just 98 games. But Scott, obviously, we can't look the other way when it comes to how Ellie De La Cruz finished the season and big struggles against left-handed pitching. No, we can't. But he's so prolific at a base deal. I mean, did you see the last note in in uh, me talking about his struggles there? Even during that time in the second half where where over the final two months, I should say, where Ellie De La Cruz was batting 200 and striking out 35% of the time, he was still the 13th best shortstop in the seven, in, in, in categories leagues and the 17th best in points leagues as a 200 hitter striking out 35% of the time because he was such a prolific base stealer. And that makes up for a lot of warts. And it's kind of new or at least... Um, unfamiliar to us because it's been so long since we've seen players steal bases in these quantities that we're not familiar with how much it can make up for flaws like that. And I think in Ellie De La Cruz's case, you know, as long as he doesn't slump his way out of a job completely, I'm just not that stressed about the downside. The ADP is more than I want to invest in him. So like if we're just doing it purely on the, okay, are you, are you drafting Ellie De La Cruz at cost or not? I'm, I'm not going to, because I think there are better players to draft in that third round range. But you know, if he slid to round five, I'd be happy to draft him because I think, I think his out, his fantasy output is going to be good. Yeah. The only Even way I can, batting s- average isn't the only way I could see him sliding to round five is, I mean, it'll probably no, happen. It's, not, it's never going to happen. It'll happen in a points league, but yeah, I think yeah. any kind of categories league. The He'd la- have to get hurt. The latest he'll go is like maybe he could slip to the fourth round in some drafts. Uh, but even that, like maybe you can kind of, you know, buy buy him in the fourth rounds. Uh, Chris, coming back a lot of, after the... A lot of weird, weird things happen in drafts. You guys are so colored by the numbers. Weird things happen all the time. Chris, coming back from football, what was your initial reaction to seeing, okay... Ellie De La Cruz, ADP, still kind of like borderline second, third round pick. What was your reaction on that? I'm surprised it's not higher, especially when you're talking about high stakes leagues where people tend to chase outliers and tend to chase breakouts and tend to chase really, really talented young players because, you know, we, there, there were, you know, those, uh, I, I don't know what they call them, but NFC does like restart drafts at the all-star break and and they'll have these competitions where you maybe not the NFC, maybe one of the other providers. I don't know, but he was going first overall 
in some of them. Not all of them, certainly, but he was a consensus first rounder at the midway point in the season when he had played like a month. And so I think that's why I, I don't think there, I, I think it's much more likely he goes in the first round than the fifth round of any given draft. And so do I want to draft him there? Like Scott said, no, no, I don't want to draft him 24th overall, you know? And I, and I was thinking like, well, O'Neal Cruz is 50 spots later than him or 60 spots later in them than in drafts. But like Scott said, Ellie De La Cruz, even when things are going poorly and as a hitter, he was worse last year than O'Neal Cruz was two years ago. But that's stolen base. I, I can't even get Jose Ramirez in my first round. I don't know how Ellie De La Cruz is getting in there. Someone's going to get 30 homers and 60 stolen bases in their heads and talk themselves into it. You know, like, things I, happen in drafts. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that's more likely, but it, it's not particularly likely. He's likely to be a second or third rounder. And, and because of the prolific stolen bases, because he's the fastest man in baseball, probably not the fastest man in the world that he likes to say, but still plenty fast. Um, and because he hits the ball so hard, I think there are people who are going to talk themselves into him in the second round every single draft by the time we get to where it counts. And it probably won't be me, but I put together a content plan uh, for the next month and a half or so. And one of the things I'm going to do is a YOLO players or uh, a FOMO players. Excuse me. (laughs) He's definitely going to be on there. I got my, my acronyms wrong. (laughs) Like Ellie de la Cruz, you know, I'll probably play 11 or 12 leagues, whatever it is this year. I'm going to have to have Ellie La Cruz on at least one of them. Just, just it's, it's not going to be fun to have 11 teams with no Ellie La Cruz. Yeah, I was just thinking about it in my head. I'm like, if this ADP stays there, I will not have a single share of Ellie La Cruz, which sucks, but... I, yeah, you got to. Come I, on. I, you, can't, you can't play every... You can't do every draft with optimal efficiency. Sometimes <laughs> you got to say YOLO. Uh, all right. <laughs> we'll see which draft Chris actually winds up with Ellie De La Cruz in. I uh, wanted to mention Randy Rosarena, who kind of scuffled in the second half. I guess didn't kind of. He did scuffle. He hit 220 with a 700 OPS, but maybe it was just kind of regression from you know him getting off to a hot start because at the end of the day, it's three straight years of Randy Rosarena going 2020 with an OPS between 773 and 815. He's finished as a top 50 player in Roto each of those years. It's kind of annoying the way that he gets to that finish line, but at the end of the day, he just kind of does what he does. Scott, is there anything that you actually saw that legitimately worried you about Randy Rosarena's second half? Well, I, I mean, I, I think I, I think I've been worried about Randy Rosarena for a long time because he is he is far outperformed his expected stats basically from the start of his time with the Rays and in a year where stolen base totals were going up across the league, it was, they were becoming more common. Randy Arena became less prolific on the bases. He went from stealing 32 bases in 2022 to stealing 22 bases in 2023. And that drop is, is even more than it seems because again, there are more stolen bases available throughout the league. So if, if, if Randy Arena is just a kind of good base stealer instead of a very good base stealer, then there's a lot of pressure on his bat to deliver optimally. And, um, I think there's a wider range of outcomes. I mean, look, he's he's he ended up with a 254 batting average. He hit 23 home runs. Is that good enough in this environment to justify the cost? Just just straight up what are Randy Rosarena's final numbers were based on that with with that very poor finish dragging them down. Uh I'm I'm uh I'm not so sure about that. His ADP over the past month is 46.8. So I mean, I guess Technically, again, he's finished as a top 50 player three years in a row. Maybe, you know, he doesn't give you as much room for profit. So if that's something you're worried about, uh, maybe Randy Rosarena is not for you. But I, I, I think he's pretty safe in what he's going to provide. Again, I, I think it's a 2020 profile. But given his swing decisions, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, he kind of goes on this Javier Baez path. One of these years, it, it could just and completely fall apart for him. He's 29 on opening day which is surprising because he hasn't been around that long, but you know, that's not 
oh no range. He's not a running back, but it is. It's not. Oh, it's not. Oh com- no! It's like oh. Oh, yeah, it's it's a little surprising. And so if he fell off entering, you know, his late or his potential. God, what am I trying to say? A year away from turning 30, that wouldn't be surprising. No, not terribly. Surprising. I think I think there's more room for downside than upside with the Rosarena at this price. I want to quickly talk about two other outfielders here who uh, scuffled towards the end of the season. Christian Yelich. Uh, from August 1st on, hit 248, three homers, six steals. The power and speed, I guess, was still okay. A 723 OPS. Quality of contact came way down. The ground ball rate went way up. And it sounds like the back was acting up and causing him issues once again. The other name is Lane Thomas, who in the second half hit 223 with a 705 OPS. And he's someone that just has huge splits. He crushes lefties. He was awesome at home. Uh, obviously the opposite against righties and on the road. And then we have, you know, these second half numbers. Chris, are you concerned about either in the way that they finish Christian Yelich, Lane Thomas? I am not concerned about Lane Thomas and how he finished because Lane Thomas will be on exactly zero of my teams this year. I want nothing to do with him. This was, I'm making an assumption that this was Lane Thomas turning back into who Lane Thomas has always been. And that is just not a player that I'm particularly interested in. Christian Yelich, I don't know. We've been through this a lot. And he was still on 119 run pace and a 24 stolen base pace. And so that's from August 1st on. So it's like, I think even if he struggles, Christian Yelich is likely to still be a very good player or at least a a useful player. I... I just don't really want anything to do with Lane Thomas. I I didn't buy what he was doing last season. I thought the Nationals absolutely should have traded him at the deadline. And um, I think it's more likely you're dropping Lane Thomas than that you're starting him by August. All right, let's wrap up with four pitchers who finished the season, uh, you know, on a downswing here. And we mentioned one already, Carlos Rodon. Overall, he had a 685 ERA and a 145 whip in his debut season with the Yankees. I'm not sure that he was ever healthy. Maybe I'm just making excuses. That was kind of uh, capped off with his final start against the Royals of all teams, where he allowed eight earned runs and did not record a single out. It was just yikes, big yikes on Carlos Rodon. Hunter Brown. Uh, you know, got off to a good start, but over the final three months had a 6.95 ERA, which brought his overall ERA up to 5.09 by season's end. Lucas Giolito made 12 starts with the Angels and Guardians combined. 6.96 ERA, 148 whip, and now he's pitching in Fenway Park in Boston in the AL East. Don't love that. Uh, Andrew Abbott also got off to a great start. His first 10 starts, 190 ERA, .96 whip. Final 11 starts, 642 ERA, 178 whip. Scott, is there a name here of these four that you're looking to maybe capitalize on them having a a rough finish to the season? I think... So wait, uh, let's go through the names. It was Carlos Rodon. Okay, I got him right here. Carlos Rodon, Hunter Brown, Lucas Giolito, Andrew Abbott, right? I mean, Rodon would be the one who I'm most hopeful for just because we've seen him be a legit fantasy ace multiple times in the years leading up to this very disastrous and injury-plagued 2023. I have no idea what to expect from him, and I I wouldn't want to make a sizable investment in him. But fortunately, I don't have to. I mean, where I have him ranked is actually a little bit higher than his ADP right now. And so I think it's 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 not entirely no risk. I mean, we're talking about a top 175 pick, but it's late enough that particularly if you've really already formed the foundation of your pitching staff, uh, you can afford to luxuriate on the upside of Carlos Rodon and just the hope that it was a total total lost year where he wasn't right and he bounces back completely and that would be amazing. It might win you your league. Chris, of those four names, I think the only other one I might be willing to invest in just to capitalize on this is Hunter Brown. Just because some of the underlying numbers were still really good. 352 XFIP, 374 Sierra, over 10K per nine. Lots of ground balls, 53%. The one thing I don't love about Brown, the ADP over the past month 
it's it's still relatively high. It's 190 inside the top 200. And we've mentioned other names already that are also going in that range. So you got to pick and choose. I, I don't know that you could wind up with all these pitchers that you like, you know, from let's say 175 to 250. Uh, but Hunter Brown does live in that range. What are your thoughts? I, I think the thing you have to keep in mind with Hunter Brown, I believe his career high in innings was like 131 in 2022. And obviously a lot of his struggles last year came after he had already reached that point. So I, I do think that doesn't necessarily excuse or explain his second half struggles, but it's a possible explanation for why he was so bad. And yeah, I, I think Hunter Brown is someone in the 190 range of starting pitcher. You know, if I take, I think reasonably you could take like two starting pitchers in your first hundred and then load up on a lot of these upside guys. Cause I really like Rodon's price. I really like Hunter Brown's price. I really, I love Andrew Abbott at <clears throat> two sixty-seven. like that. It looked for a while, like he was going to be a top one fifty pick. You know, it looked like he was going to be a top 30 starting pitcher in ADP with the way he started off. And then obviously a lot of the things that we were warning about at the time came to pass. He was a fly ball pitcher pitching in arguably the worst park to be a fly ball pitcher in who wasn't missing enough bats. The thing is he had an 800 OPS against righties last season. That's really, really bad. And that's part of the problem when you rely on a sweeper for your swings and misses is sweepers are just death against opposite handed batters. His changeup was actually really good last season. 39.4% whiff rate. It was his best pitch. I think he needs to throw that pitch more, especially against righties to try to neutralize that. But if he can do a little better with that platoon split, all of a sudden, I, I think there's a path for Andrew Abbott to be a top 30 starting pitcher. I'm certainly not ranking him that way, but he's a very talented young pitcher who threw 162 and a third innings last season. So I have no concerns about the workload. I, I do think Andrew Abbott, look, there's a chance that he just wrecks your ratios and it, it's not worth the price, even at 276. It's not worth having on your team, but the upside is absolutely worth chasing with one of your final round picks in a standard 12-team league. I, I think for sure with Andrew Abbott. Yeah, looking a little bit at the pitch mix here, Andrew Abbott against righties last year, he used his changeup 19% of the time, 197 batting average against, 268 mm -hmm. slug, and a 39% whiff rate. It's really good. His curveball, which he also used 19% of the time, got crushed against yep. righties, which makes sense, right? It probably just like falls right into that kind of mm -hmm. happy fun zone for right-handed pitchers. So I think maybe tweaking the pitch mix a little bit. I also think the Reds kind of overworked him. If you remember when he first got called up, he was going six-plus innings yep. every time out, 100-plus pitches. Dude, this guy's a prospect. Like, don't run him into the ground. And ultimately, it seems like that's what the Reds did with Andrew Abbott. So I mentioned we were going to get to like half of Scott's article. No way. We got to about a quarter of it. <laughs> so if you want to read the rest of what happened down the stretch again, go to cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball and make sure to read Scott's article. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks as, as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.